1: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Steven Spielberg's semi-autobiographical film, The Fablemans, opens nationwide in movie theaters today. I invited two of my favorite movie critic pals onto the podcast to break down Spielberg's entire filmography in order. But first, here's a few comments from my red carpet encounter with Spielberg himself at the National Archives Records of Achievement Award in 2013.
2: Well, well I'm very humbled by this, but I feel like I should be, be given them, them an honor. I should be presenting, the, you know, the foundation of the National Archives in honor because because they led Doris Kearns Goodwin. You know, you know they, they, they supplied all of her needs, they fulfilled all of her needs. Tony Kushner, when he wrote the screenplay, he was here, we were here researching what we needed to research in terms of props and all kinds of artifacts. So, in a sense, I'm so honored that they're honoring me, but I feel like honoring them right back. Well, look, history is the most exciting thing we've got. We, you know, we live in two directions. We live in the future, toward the future, and we also live not enough in the past and I think that the greatest treasures are what came before us, everything that led up to the present day, to our children's you know, livelihoods and well-being, everything for me, and I've told my kids this countless times, depends on how appreciative they are and how much knowledge they can get from looking back, not just wanting what is available today, hoping for a future, but you gotta know where you came from and you have to know that a place like this exists. So this is a wonderful place for students to. And parents, you know, to basically
1: camp out. I will. The award was presented by past recipient and first guest on this podcast, documentary filmmaker Ken Burns.
0: The opportunity to honor somebody in my field, sort of, um, who makes films and transforms American history and that future imagination um, was hugely great honor and to be able to spend this afternoon with him and this evening uh, This is the greatest director we have in our country who has um, the courage to take on such extraordinary subjects as the Holocaust and difficult passages in American history, having to deal with race, uh, having to deal with so many aspects that we'd rather leave unexamined. And the fact that he does it with hugely popular... Uh, movies is great and the fact that he is a consummate artist so that all of these films are masterpieces uh, I think makes this uh, evening particularly special. We've honored many great historians and nothing to take anything away from any of them but we've been able here uh, to remind people that particularly in a democracy the role of public history, people interpreting our own effects is as important as the scholarly work that goes on because what trickles down from these popular films like lincoln or amistad or the other extraordinary films schindler's list that steven spielberg has done um affects how much we read affects the kind of questions we ask at the dinner table in our in our classrooms and it has a huge powerful effect and so we are Thrilled to be able to give this year's Records of Achievement Award to Steven Spielberg.
1: And now, without further ado, I invited two of my favorite movie pals to break down Spielberg's entire career in order. <laughs> with me here on the East Coast, uh, Arch Campbell, the longtime uh, movie uh, critic from NBC. So, so happy
3: to be with you.
1: Yes, thank you. And everyone check out uh, Arch and Lou Katz's podcast at the movies. Uh, Oliver Jones and I are on it all the time. And that sets up the other introduction on the West Coast in L.A. Oliver Jones, Observer.com. He's done stuff for People Magazine. And of course, son of Davy Marlin Jones, a name everyone, legendary critic people know in this area. Oliver, thanks. I'm just spending entirely too much time with you people, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i see you guys like every week now or every other week <laughs> yeah,
3: we're the three
1: amigos there you go yeah. <laughs> campbell jones Braylon, <laughs> the movies <laughs> uh, um, but today the name is spielberg uh oliver mm. i know has seen uh the Fablemans, and i'm dying to mm. see it. arch you said you're gonna see it on thanksgiving day right
3: i cannot wait I think it's arriving uh, with, uh, without needing a review because the early word is so good on it that it is the Oscar contender and everything else is in second place. And as, you know, I, thinking about this podcast with you, Spielberg is today's answer to Frank Capra. All of his films have that, that certain uh, uh, humanity or emotion and uh, this being a family story, uh, uh, I'm in.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see it, and Oliver. And you saw it too. Uh, well, do you want to do you want to you share your reaction? Let's share the reaction to the Fablemans at the top, and then we can go through Spielberg's career because, mm-hmm. in a way, this is sort of the Spielberg origin story. So this can sort of set up the rest of his career, really. Well, you know, it, this this film was very moving
4: uh, on on several levels, but for me, probably the most profound um, aspect of this movie is that, you know, the, the ur er text or even the text of Steven Spielberg's movies almost since the very beginning has been divorce and the breakup of the family and what the family means and all the forces that are, that are pushing against the family. And this is true in his, um, you know, celebrated works like a uh, close encounters of the third kind and ET and even true of his, um, lesser celebrated works like uh, War of the Worlds and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and um, and that's a, it's a movie that you know is bitter on so many levels, especially towards children. but uh, this movie is different in the respect that he's trying to understand something that's haunted him his whole life. The movie begins with a seven-year-old Sammy Fableman uh, living in New Jersey uh, watching the his first movie ever in a movie theater, the greatest show on Earth and becoming obsessed with the train crash, so much so that his mother devises the idea for him to shoot a film of uh, his own model train crashing. And in some respects, all of the Fablemans is that exact idea. You know, the, the thing that was causing him so much anxiety as a child was this train crash. Now he is so many years removed from this divorce directing it. Right. Controlling it all over again and making all the choices and trying to trying to feel in control of this moment where his um, where his life both started and got away from him at the same time. Uh, and it's a um, you know, I think as, as anyone who has thought about these issues or really as anyone who has um, had Spielberg's movies sort of um, play as a light motif through their lives, will find this very moving. But even if you didn't know any of that, if you if you didn't um sort of consider film history or or what divorce plays in the in the movies of Spielberg, it's such a amazingly crafted film. Uh and mm. um this is this is the last movie he's he's gonna make with John Williams. And the John Williams score is fascinating, uh, very, very adroit, very different. You know, um he he borrows a lot of ideas from scott joplin the entertainer you know Mm -hmm. Um, it it has a um it has a sort of different purpose and feeling but um but really i think this movie what will stick with people will most is michelle williams not not just the way that she plays this character who seems like (laughs) such a singular character that that uh is unlike uh, anyone that anyone's ever met, and and so many people in Los Angeles has have met Mitzi, who used to run a um, kosher restaurant, um, milk mm. and honey, uh, out here in L.A. And uh, and so we've we've known her. You know, um, of course, this is not a movie he probably could have made before while she was still alive um it was it was a movie that ne- she needed i think to pass before he would be, he was able to maybe confront it um wow. but it was it's not just her performance but the way that he presents her and frame her frames her you know we're all familiar at this point in our lives with the um spielberg face you know the push in to the wide-eyed face yeah. of wonder you know uh and it and it has changed its meaning you know uh many times throughout uh, spielberg's career <laughs> You know, moving from a sort of uh, uh, a wondrous look to a terrified look, and now in the hands of uh, Michelle Williams, at this point in in Spielberg's career, it's a look that's tinged with with guilt, uh, and um, and sort of a fear about life's choices. Uh, it's a, it's a more mature understanding of what that look means and how that look can be unleashed, and in in addition to dealing with sort of um, guilt. It also deals with or around family. It deals with guilt around Jewishness and Jewish identity uh, and and Spielberg's understanding of of what his Jewishness is, the ways in which he's run away from his Jewishness and the way that he has embraced his Jewishness through his life. Um so you know it's a it's a great movie to watch. It's a wonderful movie to think about, and it's also a great movie to consider just for its craft elements. I
3: want to throw two Jason Fraley observations. Jason Fraley-like observations into this. First is the choosing of the name Fableman. Uh, Is is this a fable? And secondly, (laughs) that uh, Spielberg would choose, uh, and I think this is from his life, to pay homage to the greatest show on earth, which is uh, the Oscar winner that uh, people like Jason say shouldn't have won. Well, when <laughs> you have singing
1: else. in the rain come out at yeah. high noon, and it's hard. Right.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so so there you are. That Those are my two observations, other than I'm in. I'm in for this. I love these family stories. I think we've all got our own rich family story that's just full of what ifs and whys yeah. and Oh my goodness and uh, and and this is the time of year that we all go back in our minds to think of those things because of Thanksgiving when we would all get together
0: right.
1: right. Well, so, it sounds like, so it sounds what, like a uh, bit of a crowning achievement. Quality is subjective, of course, of where you would uh-huh. rank it, Oliver, against all of his other great works. But um, at least in terms of, you know, all of the themes that he's been grappling with in his brain and in his heart and soul. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, the love of cinema, uh, divorce and and family strife. And, and then you said tackling his own Jewishness, grappling with that. You know, those are through lines that we're going to see pop up throughout this podcast Mm -hmm. as we do a chronological look through some of his his works um uh but but but, also to,
4: to arch's point you know i mean um the uh our greatest show on earth and the train wreck it's also an explanation of um spectacle and set pieces right and 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 the part that spectacle and set pieces are not just a part of our sort of um you know, getting getting money out of people who want to go see movies. It's also something that's ingrained deep in his brain somewhere uh, as as something that is an essential aspect of of how he looks at the world and processes the world. So in some respects, the um, that film is a um, explanation and a celebration of the idea of cinema
1: spectacle. Absolutely. And uh, it was directed by Cecil B. DeMille, and uh, Spielberg was ready for his push in close ups, as, as you said,
3: <laughs> DeMille. And what do you think of my fable? connection, Jason, because that sounds like something you would come up
1: with. I think it's something that Arch came (laughs) up with. (laughs) Um, I think that uh, seems like it'd be a sort of a fable. But um, uh, I liked your earlier comparison to Capra, because I feel like that is sort of like the the comp in terms of, you know, the uh, feel-good Americana. Um, But I mean, yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, name recognizability, um, if you ask a stranger on the street, you know, name a director, they're going to say Steven Spielberg. I mean, would, would you, I mean, Right. would you guys agree the most famous um you know filmmaker of all time maybe other than alfred hitchcock or you know if you you know orson wells there's there's names fellinis that you know that, that film buffs love but if you ask a mainstream person on the street spielberg's prop he takes the cake i, mean, I you know, was
3: thinking about oliver's point about the theme of divorce through all of his films and the first time i heard really heard about spielberg was in 1974 for the Sugarland Express, mm-hmm. which was the first movie he really got a lot of attention for. And if you recall, that's Goldie Hawn, and it's based on the true story of a woman in Texas who breaks her husband out of jail and kidnaps her child so that they can be a family together, mm-hmm. and uh, along the way, she kidnaps a policeman, and pretty soon it's it's a string. It's like one million police following uh, this poor woman uh, trying to put her family back together. That was early on. That was nineteen seventy four, almost fifty years ago. There you and go, putting so, the
1: family back together right from the start. Oliver, you know? you
3: are right on the money there.
1: Absolutely. So we had Sh- Sugarland Express in 74. And then, of course, he had done, you know, Duel, the TV movie with the you know mm-hmm. the, the killer <laughs> truck chase. That was but, a um...
3: huge thing. On, it was the ABC movie of the week. ABC was the weakest network. And I happened to have been a television booth announcer <laughs> at the time.
1: <laughs> there oh. was a
3: job <laughs> where they would pay you to sit in a booth, uh, record the times of the commercials and then uh, every 30 minutes go WFAA TV channel 8 Dallas
1: <laughs> so you were you were dueling with duel <laughs> I was
3: and then I got I saw duel with a fan and as a television movie it was uh, it broke the mold there was nothing oh. like it. Yes. it and and the the villain the character is this giant truck. And to this day, when I go down I-81, I still think, oh, my God, (laughs) that truck is coming for me. Well, you
1: know, you know what the uh, if a really cool, fun fact, I'm sure a lot of Spielberg fans know is, you know, when the shark is sinking in Jaws, he put a little bit of that sound effect of of dual of the truck going down. You can actually hear it. But uh, that segues us into you know the first big movie masterpiece in his career that I wanted to discuss. His big breakthrough, of course, uh, was, was was Jaws, 1975. Right. Sort of invented the summer blockbuster as we know It's Still one of the mm-hmm. top ten grocers of all time if you adjust for inflation. Um, but you know, uh, to me, it's one of those great examples of the, you know that whole less is more idea because the shark didn't work. Oh, Bruce did was malfunctioning in the water, but it forced <laughs> Spielberg. With that John Williams two note dunna dunna, it forced them to do those underwater POV shots that were so much scarier. And then you see the bodies get yanked underwater. That that it's so much scarier than than if you had seen the shark um the the entire time. Of course, you get you know the, Oliver mentions the close ups, but uh here Spielberg does sort of the vertigo effect, which is that dolly in and zoom out makes Chief Brody look like he's gonna you know detach from the image when he sees that shark attack right. um. <laughs> But it, it's a piece of work—the USS Indianapolis speech, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, Roy Scheider. I mean, it, it's it's great. But what are your guys' thoughts on Jaws? Uh, Oliver, I know you had a chance to see it recently in the theater. Yeah, it was the first uh, time daughter, I ever right?
4: saw. For some reason, um, for some reason, I, I just thought that God was waiting for the right time for me to see Jaws. <laughs> so uh, I finally saw it when it came out this year in um, in uh, 3D uh, mm. um, IMAX. Um, and uh i saw it with my daughter clementine and we both had so much fun i mean <laughs> i've had i've had lots of wonderful experiences even recently at the movie theater but that really ranks up there uh but the the thing about that movie right it, it can't really be separated from the absolute chaos of making it yeah. you know yeah. i mean it was it was just an absolute you know crap show and, and it was um And part of what he was able to do was negotiate complete chaos, you know, with with an understanding of what the through line was, what what was going to make them get them through that experience and also get you through that movie. And and I I think part of I like some of the most powerful American art, you know, uh, from from painters like Jackson Pollock to to jazz uh, artists like Miles Davis is about touching chaos and controlling it and and somehow um making something that makes sense out of it and i think even in a goofy beach shark movie you know he was able to do something uh that you know great and particularly great american artists tend to do
1: yeah and 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 uh still holds up with the, you know d- during the pandemic that you know that that mayor who wants to keep the beaches open you know takes on a whole new meaning exactly so, <laughs> don't do tell you have anybody. any memories it'll of, be uh, fine Arsh, do you have any memories of when that first came cuz I you know I I would have killed to be, to be alive and see that in the theater and I think am thinking just it was at the movies.
3: Uptown Theater and I'm thinking that was where uh, the newspaper first took note of the, of the lines that because the Uptown is a single screen theater so people would line up around the block thus the name blockbuster and uh, the other thing I'm really remembering about Jaws that uh, has lasted is uh, that in Spielberg movies, the music is a character of the movie. So certainly in Jaws, you know, duh, duh, that, that music is a character. But uh, you can find uh, the importance of music through uh, all of, uh, of Spielberg's uh, films. And, uh, and I think that's one of the things that makes him so
1: great. Absolutely. And that, that, uh, in, uh, uh, maybe second only, so similar to what Psycho did, you know, make Psycho, you s- yeah. scared of taking a shower with that theme. Uh, this one made people scared to go in the water. There, there, there's, there's few movies that inspire actual phobias where you, you, can, have uh-huh. who, you can have kids who have kids today who never Jaws. seen, right? Exactly. But there's kids that have never seen Jaws. <laughs> That will swim up uh-huh. in a swimming pool going dunna, dunna. <laughs> it's just, and any and people who've never seen Psycho will go, wait, wait. It's just become part of our, our shorthand, our culture. But, but
3: be- the other thing is in 1975, everybody was talking about Jaws. It was on, it was everybody's conversation. And that's one of the things I miss today. Yeah. The, that movies really aren't uh, at the forefront of, of a conversation. The way Jaws was. Have you seen Jaws? Have you seen Jaws? Oh, my God. The audience went crazy. Oh, and when that shark. Oh, man, they screamed and I yeah. jumped. You know,
4: I love that. What's interesting, Arch, is that now, you know, his his previous film, uh, West Side Story, uh, was was not well watched right was kind of a flop you know uh, th- there was some talk about this uh, film Fableman's, um uh, on four theaters having a a, a lower uh, per screen average than black panther you know opened uh-huh. across the country mm-hmm. that yeah. now spielberg is becoming the thing that he killed right he's becoming art house <laughs> um, funny how that I mean, works right? uh, he's, he's becoming specialty cinema uh, which is which is very odd to think, it, you know, that the most populous <laughs> artist of our time is suddenly becoming a, um, you know, a a a, a small art, uh, you know, a a, a uh, an artist for people who love and talk about movies rather than uh, um, an artist for everyone, you know, that that is on the lips of every single, you know, person in the world. It's such a that, such and a, that's, a, that's why I love
3: point. Oliver Jones, by the way, because he'll be making a joke and making you yeah. laugh, and suddenly he will say something absolutely profound, and Big that God. is profound. That that's Spielberg very
1: profound. He's become <laughs> what he's become.
3: Uh-huh. The thing he killed. That's become the profound. thing
1: he killed. Well, I'm going to do my best segue into the next one based off of two things that, that you guys did. Arch, I, You men, I'm trying to go into Close Encounters of the Third uh-huh. Kind here, fellas, in 1977. So, Arch, uh, my segue from yours is you were talking about the music with two notes. Well, this one had five notes. And to segue out of Oliver's mentioning of the Fablemans, I believe John Ford plays a role in the Fablemans. And, man, in Close encounters, I really think there's that you can see the John Ford searchers impact on uh, Spielberg, you know, when that door opens and that orange glow comes in uh, as the aliens are about to abduct the kid that is so so textbook homage to the beginning of the searchers, you know, when the Comanches are coming in that sunset, orange. look, you could line them up side by side, and it looks the same. That's right. <laughs> but what do you guys remember of Close Encounters? I mean, mashed potato mountains, devil's tower, the big spaceship. Um, but to me, my little two cents would be that I I like that the climax isn't some big big battle like Independence mm-hmm. Day or War of the Worlds. It's it's it in the end it comes down to you know a movie about just you know communication. They're trying to talk to the aliens through music and sound effects, and you got Truffaut there doing it. Like, uh, yeah. But what what's your guys' impression of 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 that? Well, and there's
3: a marriage theme, of course, Oliver. Right.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And I really think that probably
4: almost as much as any actor you know I, I I believe the little kid in that movie, uh Carrie Guffey sort of ended up defining that face about as well as anyone did. I mean, he he sort of um the the face of that kid in that movie became the sort of um, uh, the primordial mass, right, from which all of those shots came afterwards. You know, he just fell in love with that kid's face and and found ways to make it talk in so many different ways. Of course, now, you mentioned Truffaut was in the film. Uh, David mm. Lynch is in Fableman's, you know. Uh, so uh. that's an interesting, uh, you know, again, both from the art house, you know, coming into uh, um, mainstream from an ultimate mainstream director you know i can't imagine a lot of big studio directors being able to convince you know one of the kings of the new wave and one of the kings of of outside culture you know to show up and and
1: and and be in their movies that's a really good uh, tie in there um and yeah i mean it's uh, and I think it. Another cool thing is it's one of the few Spielberg movies where he actually wrote the script. I believe he wrote at least one of the drafts of the Close Encounters script. And uh, and I was I actually interviewed Douglas Trumbull who designed the spaceship. Not to mention all mm. the uh, you know the mm-hmm. 2001 Space Odyssey, all those. guys yeah. Um. Before he died. Um. And uh, he was saying that 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 script was based on you know actual you know accounts of UFO sightings in area 51 and all that kind of stuff. So when you watch it, you know, when, when Richard Drivers is pulling up to the train tracks and all the stuff in the car, the radio is going haywire and the, you know, the train track lights are going like you, it feels almost like a documentary of close encounters. If that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Guys? I've always had it's... this theory
4: that directors had um, actors in their films. You know, when directors had actors in their films repeatedly, one was who they were and one was who they wanted to be. Uh, and I've always thought that Richard <laughs> Dreyfus was who he was and Harrison Ford was who he wanted to
1: be. <laughs> well, that's, um, thanks for teeing up the segue because the next big one I <laughs> want to mention is Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. Um, I, I, now, I, I
3: Now, you skipped one that I want to mention very quickly, and that's 1941. Oh, Wasn't mm-hmm. that right before Raiders? Yeah. yeah. yeah
1: right. And
3: I think that was the first time he stubbed his toe. He had uh, it was it was Belushi and the Saturday Night Live crowd. And it was uh, based on uh, on the paranoia after uh, Pearl Harbor Day on the West Coast. And Belushi played some out of control uh, guy uh, running around crazy in California. And there were all kind of stunts in it. And I went I remember going to a preview at the KB Cinema. And the crowd walked out and someone in the crowd shouted, that sucked, <laughs> yeah. which is not what you associate with the Spielberg movie, but it was if, a Spielberg comedy and, and it didn't work.
4: If the, the word had been a, a negative word with three syllables as opposed to one, it might have been my father. Uh, uh,
3: <laughs> was he at that screening and, uh, with I, you i think
4: he was and he just completely despised that film and uh-huh. and that was heartbreaking to me at the time because um john belushi was an idol of mine you know um right for little hyperactive kids you know we didn't have a lot of um uh examples in the world and and john belushi was one of them <laughs> so to think that such a you know Great director and such a significant actor for me uh, had had uh, teamed together to create to lay such an egg was extremely disappointed. Now, As as someone who who is fascinated with um, Los Angeles history, you know, that moment of that paranoia that was very mm -hmm, real mm -hmm. in L.A. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all the crazy things that they did. It's a great idea. I mean, you would make a good, you know, miniseries or something. It's a really good idea. Uh Uh, But Mm -hmm. it was um, it was a terrible movie. So you're saying, uh,
1: Belou- you're saying, Belushi should have left it as it was the Animal House line. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs>
0: left well, it as a line case, rather than make
3: yes. a movie out as- I just it was. The, I I had never seen an audience so angry. Yeah, uh, that they were actually screaming outside of the theater, and right. uh, and so you know, I I think we should uh, admit that uh, comedy is not Spielberg's uh, milieu.
1: Yes, yeah. it's been, I think he's better off when he when it's a different genre that pep, <laughs> that peppers the comedy in. You know, like a Raiders of the Lost Ark is an adventure right, movie right. with moments of comedy indie indie blasting the sword fighter with a gun or, you know what I mean? Now, right. the, the coat hanger. On the
3: other hand, I was at the exact same theater opening night of Raiders of the Lost Ark and everybody went in there cold because it was 1981 and movies at that time really weren't Pre-hyping the way they do now. Right. And the movie starts, and that scene begins with the boulder. And as the boulder is rolling right. after Harrison Ford, the audience just went berserk. Wow. They just, people were just giddy. I can't even begin to tell you the sound I heard in there, but it was sort of a...
1: Ah! <laughs> <laughs> was that one of those life-changing uh screenings arch for you? I mean, and, uh, one of the you big You were ones?
4: there, Oliver, right? Well, uh, uh it was at, it was at the KB Cinema and the one that I remember mm-hmm. uh it was um yes it was several months before uh the movie came out. No one had heard or knew anything about the movie. Oh, you it went to a critic a, screening? It was a, it was add? a really early screening. Right. Uh and it was a um and you know, it had a strange name. You know, I, I stuttered at the time, you know, so I could hardly explain it to my friends on my soccer team at Stoddard's uh, you know, who um what this movie was and and what that first five minutes was and what yeah. you know, but I remember as I walked out of the cinema theater, I turned to my dad and I said, That's the kind of movie I would want to make if I could get enough people to work for me.
1: Wow. Um, <laughs> oh wow. Nice. It I is. Guess. I mean, I'm. I, I'm with you guys. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, of course, I, I. I didn't get to sadly see that one in theaters. I was born. I was a Temple of Doom baby. I was born in '84. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um. But man, uh, Indiana Jones. Even so, you know, went back, double back, and caught him on VHS. Uh, uh, no, you the were whole
3: the ch- Lost Ark.
1: Yeah, I'm the last story. Yeah. But I mean Indiana Jones was still my I mean my my childhood hero. Just the idea of this guy finding, you know, biblical artifacts before the Nazis can um it's just it's it's awesome. Um and you mentioned Temple of Doom earlier, you know, is I guess it was the first PG-13 movie, a bizarre dark movie in many ways. There's parts of it I like, you know, in short rounds having a comeback th- this year. They were going
3: to have to give the sequel an R and yeah. uh, Jack Valenti uh, came up with, uh, PG-13. Yeah. So I
4: turned, uh, I turned 13, uh, the week that that movie came out. Uh, <laughs> wow. so, uh I was, I, I was allowed to go. Right. Uh, I also remember, I don't know if you remember this Arch, but there used to be a store next to, um, Olson's book and tape annex in Georgetown. I think it was called hats in the belfry. It was a hat. Yeah. Shop. yeah. And, yeah. uh, and you know, they, they, the entire shop was just overtaken <laughs> with Indiana Jones hats, <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, and everyone was uh-huh. would like crowd into the hat shop. I mean, can you imagine such a
1: thing?
3: No, you know, no uh, crazy.
1: Going to a hat shop. Um...
3: Hats in the belfry. I
1: well, you know the the American Film Institute ranked him the number two hero movie hero of all time behind Atticus Finch. But uh, if you want to count action heroes, I mean, it, it's Indiana Jones. I even really liked the the third one, The Last Crusade, with the bon- with the father son banter with him and Sean Connery. Mm. I, it was hilarious. You know, don't call me Junior, and then the, right. the yeah the three <laughs> the three steps to get the Holy Grail. You know, only penning men will pass but like, I, I i i really i dig that i dig the whole thir- the original trilogy you know even the second one was sort of a it's a bizarre movie but uh number one the raiders first and one
3: yeah like, yeah broke the mold the yeah. first one and for its time the first one was like nothing else yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. agreed all right. And then so the the year after Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is just an amazing, amazing movie with melting faces and everything. But um, and the John Williams score. Da, 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 I mean, how can we forget that? But uh 82, the next year, E.T. the extraterrestrial comes out. Oh, um, and well, man, what a magical movie. There it, you are. It, one of the most immortal children's movies ever made. You know, we got the child of divorce Absolutely. meeting this friend and the iconic shot of the bike across the moon, which became the Amblin logo. So of course, mm-hmm. um, so, by the way, he also wrote Poltergeist, the script for Toby Hooper to direct that same year. So we had that suburban, you know, uh, riding bikes around the street sort of an idea. Um, but the thing, last thing I want to mention before I toss it to you guys is, um, I heard Spielberg joking one time about a nice Jewish boy making Christ allegories because because you think about <laughs> Elliot. Elliot, Elliot discovers Uh, E.T. like in a barn, like a stable. He watches him perform these (laughs) miracles. He walks (laughs) on water, which is the bikes in the sky. He dies, resurrects, and ascends to the heavens. (laughs) Right, right. But uh, what were your memories of E.T. when it came out? I remember that
4: performance uh, by Henry Thomas. uh, Mm -hmm. And and like thinking like when he, you know, when when E.T. dies, you know, at first and um. And he starts crying and, and mm. the, the way his face looks. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's like a plastic thing, you know, like some fake plastic doll inside some movie set with, you know, he's surrounded by lights. Right. And like that seemed less realistic that he could be on a movie set acting that way than it did that, you know, E.T. was real and, and actually died in that, you know, like like that was yeah. harder for me to get around that, that he could somehow do that.
1: Yeah. You know, uh
4: and um and for all of his technical magic, you know, for be able to get that that moment from any actor, you know, uh um forget that it was a kid. Um
1: there's a great but, YouTube video of Henry Thomas's audition where oh he's breaking down in tears. So it was there wow. from the start. Wow. no, I mean uh
4: wow. he he uh he caught thunder, I mean he caught lightning yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh it was just um it was just incredibly moving. And then just you know. That was that. That was our life, you know. He yeah. he he brought something that was just happening right around us and yeah. made it into Greek mythology. You know, he made it into something like that. You know that that you read out of out of books. And this was just our normal, dumb suburban yeah. bike riding life and, and action turned-
1: figures. But and here's Lando Calrissian. You know, oh, and here's the shark Dive. attacking the fish tank like that. It felt like <laughs> our lives as kids. You know, yeah. that was eighties childhood.
4: Yeah, the 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 friends getting together for the D&D game and um the whole thing. You it's, know It's like um,
1: what Stranger Things is trying to do nostalgically yeah. now. He Spielberg caught it in real time.
3: Yeah. It's the science fiction movie that Frank Capra would have made uh, if he were oh, making good. science fiction movies. And let's also mention Drew Barrymore yeah. and that wonderful scene where she opens the closet <laughs> and there he is.
4: Yeah. Screams.
0: <laughs> I love when he's uh, getting
1: when when they sort of share that telepathic connection, and you know Elliot's uh, getting drunk in the in the classroom while Et's like bumping into the refrigerator while drinking, uh, (laughs) (laughs) staggering around.
3: (laughs) Just uh, the the humanity and the emotion and the the family friendliness of it just uh, is something you you don't see now. I mean, what can you think of a recent movie? uh that uh skews as wide as ET
1: no and I in can't. fact in fact the ones that come to mind remind me of ET like Wally is ET like the way that's, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. shape looks like your short circuit or there's been so uh-huh. many ones that uh- that remind you of ET that came out after right yeah. Um And that John Williams score, I've interviewed many composers, you know, that are not composers, conductors that conduct that ET theme. Um, Emile DeCou and Stephen Reineke, you know, they do the NSO at Wolf Trap and Kennedy Center. And they all say that that ET score is like, it is working on levels that I don't even understand as, as a movie guy. Yeah. They say it works on yeah. levels, uh, compositional wise.
4: Wasn't uh, that uh, uh, the quiet man that uh, ET was watching uh, yeah. while he was uh, drinking, you know, a John <laughs> Ford movie. <laughs> and the yeah. film. John Ford <laughs> comes in again. And here we go the Abel, Ford,
1: Yeah, again <laughs> it is just it it. Is, it's amazing pizza if you're not crying by the time that he says I'll be right here and yeah. they say ouch <laughs> and touch their heart oh my god well, I, I think one
4: thing that you need to be mentioned about ET is that um, it's sort of this dividing point for um Gen X parents and their kids because if you like show that to your kids and they don't like it you really don't wanna hang out with them anymore. Uh, you no, know, you're like, you're, you're wondering, like, you know,
1: am I your parent? You know, should you live in this house? Should I keep buying you food? You wonder whether you, you wanna get divorced from your own kids over Yeah, eating. yeah, it's just, you know, they're like, oh, I was bored. I was like, get the hell out of here. It's a, it's a great movie and it, it still holds up in, in my book. All right. Well, we could go on and on about E.T. forever. It is just great. Um, but what did you what did you guys I want to hear, get your guys take on uh, 1985's The Color Purple? Obviously, the Alice Walker novel. Um, it was to me, the big breakthrough is, you know, Whoopi Goldberg's big breakthrough role. You got Danny Glover before Lethal Weapon. I think it still well, holds again, me- emotion
3: and family and family. uh, uh Brought apart and coming back together and overcoming uh, adversity and, uh, and emotional, emotional and, and satisfying.
1: Yeah, perfectly sad about the emotional and the the. Mm-hmm. I think um I think some critics have dinged it for like, you know, maybe in hindsight, you know, if a black filmmaker today took on the material, maybe it would wouldn't seem as, you know, maybe stereotypical or sentimental or, or you know, the Spielberg touches of overly sentimental or whatever. Um, But it's still got 11 Oscar nominations. I think it's still like the record with the most nominations without winning winning one, I, I think. Um, it but yeah, I mean you can nomination. criticize it all you want, but I still think it was a landmark moment for diversity at the time. It yes. didn't get a
4: nomination for director, am I correct? Good point. I I, uh, I believe it did not. I think yes, you're, you're right. right.
1: No, no noticeably okay. not it was best picture and best actress and a bunch of other stuff, but that not rarely director. happens
4: where you get I I
1: imagine that there are not many cases
4: where a film has gotten more than 10 nominations and not gotten a director nomination. Uh and I remember my father doing a piece on um on the news about uh, uh what he thought the uh, what was the academy's um uh not liking spielberg you know and 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 shutting him out um you know uh
3: there was a lot of that back then
4: yeah yeah and it was a um you know it it that, that's a that's a tough one right it's also uh it's one of his few films without john williams uh, and you could say that John Williams kind of smooths over a lot of the the, or or, or they inspire <laughs> each other, uh, and yeah. they and they kind of like um they they know each other's rhythms, you know. Uh, Quincy Jones did the soundtrack for that, no no, uh, but of course um, you can't dismiss that movie uh, chiefly because of those performances. Uh, the performances in that film across yeah. the board were just um including oprah let's not forget oprah Oprah is quite
3: good in that as well as whoopi goldberg yeah oprah
4: and danny glover is yeah yeah Yeah. he's terrifying in that movie and and um and i i remember the the visuals of that film you know this was a case though you know that you know, I think that you would like to see what an African-American filmmaker and, and particularly an African-American uh, woman uh, right. would do with that material. And there's just no way around that, you know, and that's not necessarily to knock, you know, his skills. But and, and it was not necessarily a conversation that we were having at that time. But uh, I think it remains true that that's a film that that. um would be richer uh, with the voice of an African American woman behind the camera.
3: Well, I think I think what you can say is is it it is sentimental and somewhat stereotypical, uh, but it paved the way yep. for for what is to come and for what we are seeing, which is a more genuine, um, not so sentimental, um, you know, or, or response.
1: Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's it's and that's always sort of the case when when we look at these (laughs) movies like uh, like The Color Purple is you kind of have to look through the lens of the time and we can criticize and critique from in hindsight. Yes. I mean, I if we could have like an Ava DuVernay or a D. Reese or, you know, it'd be interesting to see what a what a black female. And and
3: they weren't available. They weren't around. Well, you got to remember, Spike Lee
1: was just bubbling up at this time. Right. Yeah. Four, this is four years before doing the right thing. So you know what I mean. Like so. Mm-hmm, yes, yeah, so mm-hmm. we got to kind of look in the context of where we were. In, in it's, it's
4: interesting, though, that he took on, um, you know, uh, the black experience and what you could call the the um, the the American Holocaust of slavery before he mm-hmm. took on yeah. Jewish uh, identity and 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 the yeah. Jewish Holocaust. That he he obviously wanted to get towards that subject, but I don't think he was ready yet. To take on uh, his his Jewish story yet, um, great. Point. So I think it's interesting
1: that is a really great point and and the fact that he didn't get didn't get nominated for director I will I do have I will give Spielberg one shout out directing wise there's that shot that's burned in my brain of, of it's, a, it's whoopi Goldberg's uh silhouette her shadow up sorry her shadow up against the wall I think reading reading a book uh so yeah. there, there's some cool shots in that um but yeah wow good point mm. about the, mm. the hadn't got to his own Holocaust yet yeah
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. I'm
1: Bradley Trainer
0: And I'm Don McLean. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item.
4: A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out.
0: Pretty sure that's J Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday, so the fun never ends.
4: Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts, and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel.
1: Um. All right, we're gonna we're gonna move ahead. Pretty, uh, we're gonna skip a couple because we're, there's no time to go into all this. But you know, Empire of the Sun, and then we mentioned Last Crusade, Always, Hook. Um, he did several there in those next couple years as we went into the late 80s, early 90s. But the next big one in 93 um, is Jurassic Park. Um, oh. Man, I'm talking. Um, yeah, if you want to chart, if you want <laughs> wow. to chart film history, like visual uh, effects, like the time, yeah, the timeline yeah. to me is king kong in the stop motion right in 33 Uh, uh, and then the next big ground i mean i guess you could say star wars but to me in terms of like a creature features i think of king kong in 33 and then 93 with jurassic park when when the stop motion miniatures the phil Tippett stuff starts giving way to you know the the cgi and then you had the robotics and to me man as much as adventurous and all that it is Uh, Spielberg has two of the most the scariest scenes of all time with that t-rex paddock and the raptor kitchen. uh, so, um, what were you guys' uh, thoughts on Jurassic Park? The
3: the footsteps on the ground and and the water uh, shaking, yeah. you know, it's it's almost the stuff he does before you see the CGI that right. that's scary. And of course, the sound and uh, seeing that at the Uptown Theater and the audience just screaming, it was it was uh, it was. What an impact! What a movie!
1: <laughs> you remember? You know how they got that that ripple effect, right? They put like a guitar string uh, up underneath it, and someone was plucking oh, yeah. it under the car. Yeah, <laughs> but um, wow. you know, in
4: in some respects, you know that was that movie was uh, Pandora's box that uh, was opened, and then. Six million terrible, terrible CGI movie came shooting out of it, including its own um,
1: sequels.
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like um, we were all in wonder of that movie, and it was, and you know, we were we were fortunate that one of the first examples of big CGI was in such skilled hands. But then it just kind of buried the movie, the
3: Star Uh, Wars effect.
4: And yeah, and And again, you know, it's an interesting thing with Spielberg because it's similar to. The summer blockbuster effect, right? That that um, and s- sometimes even when his movies are good, they kind of end up damaging movies. Sometimes, you know, and <laughs> I I think that I, I think that you can't deny that all you the know?
1: imitators and the knockoffs, it, yeah. It, like Pandora's box is a perfect way to put it. Um,
4: yeah, and uh, the that Avatar was... Pandora <laughs> box. <laughs> right right and 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 i think that that's what i think of often uh when i think of that movie um along with once again those two uh
1: you know little kids of divorced parents being stalked Mm -hmm. in a a kitchen and dr grant not dr grant's character arc right not wanting learning to want to be be a father and in the beginning he doesn't want to that's spielberg's thing man but but also just
4: like um He's done a lot of cruel things to kids uh in this movie. <laughs> you know uh, uh kids have really taken the brunt of a lot of his um of uh of the terror uh yeah. in his uh in his movies yeah. and um
1: turn the light off
4: <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah no it's true it's true
1: um and now, I which how-
3: is the one where the dinosaur knocks the uh you know the the gas station with the 76 the ball and, and that was uh, two. That was the second one. But if 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 that isn't a Spielberg inspired shot, I don't know what is. I think he probably drove around L.A., saw that 76 thing. He said, one of these days I'm going to get something to knock that ball down and see it roll down (laughs) the street.
1: Yeah. And the first one, he's like, I want to get the uh, bathroom to fall over and a guy to get eaten by a T-Rex on the toilet. (laughs) Right. No, there are comedic moments, I guess, or or Jeff Goldblum. That's one big pilot. I've
4: always (laughs) felt that you know one of the best aspects of the Jurassic Park uh, movies was watching people's vacations get ruined. Um, (laughs) I can never afford to go on vacation, so if those bastards are going to go on one, I might as well have them all get eaten.
1: Well, and it kind of yeah. captured that theme. That first one, at least, kind of captured that Disney World theme park. Uh, yeah, imagine yeah, if it bre- even Goldblum says, right? Yeah, but if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the the pirates don't eat the tourists, right? But yeah. uh, or here he goes. There are dinosaurs on your uh, dinosaur tour. Hello, uh, but sort
4: of, of course, of- you know that same year was Schindler's List. Yes. and those two statements, right, are are you know, no filmmaker will ever make two statements on the same year, uh, you know, as loudly. And profoundly as uh, as those two films.
3: Now whether and that was end, that's the one he was working toward. You're yeah. absolutely right.
4: Yep. Yeah. I mean, whether in the end those films will necessarily stand up as his as his best work, but I think that 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 for him to do them in the same year, uh, I think that that they were like the pinnacle, at least of his of his yeah. early uh yeah. career. You know, that that was where he 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 hit the mountaintop.
1: Yeah, are you ever going to have a better one-two punch of a summer blockbuster and an acclaimed Oscar-winning award season movie than that? I mean, I I I dare anyone to top that.
4: (laughs) No, No, it'll never. One thing
3: I noticed during Schindler's List is it's about that time that I met Susan Spielberg, who's Mm. Steven Spielberg's sister, and lives in Silver Spring. Who knew? She started. She started coming to all of his premieres, including Schindler's List. And uh, as in the run up to the Oscars, she let me come over to her house and she showed me the dress that that Stephen had bought for her to wear to the Oscars.
1: Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so wild. that's a cool local connection.
3: So, that you know, there, there's your family again. Yeah. I and think you mentioned it the- might be the youngest.
1: Oh, that's such a cool connection. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good yeah. local trivia there. Silver and spring.
3: Spielberg came through the red carpet, and I said, "Oh, you know, I just interviewed your sister, and she showed me what she's going to wear to the Oscars." And he just kind of turned his head to the side and rolled his eye.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well that uh, that that movie uh, had its world premiere in Washington D.C. Yes. so that was that yes. was the event that you were at. Um, yes. Now that movie also marked um, his first collaboration with um, Janusz Kaminski, mm. who would become one of his most significant yeah. collaborators as a cinematographer. You know, I don't think he's done a film without him since that movie.
1: Uh, that and, bl- that uh, black and white, guys, right? And, yeah, and then with the, yeah. the cho- what about Oliver? What do you make of that choice to have the the little girl in the red coat when you, when you when you first see it, you're like, what what is that about? And then the payoff, oh, knocks you out. Well, I mean, um, you never forget it. I yeah. mean, again, you know, we, we, you can't
4: talk about Spielberg, right, without talking about audience manipulation and playing the audience like a, um, you know, like an orchestra or a fiddle, you know. And I think that obviously he's, he had done that so many times to, um, you know, great rousing effect, obviously, earlier in that year. Yeah. but to do it uh, in a profound moment of uh, contemplation and loss, you know, but still just as manipulative, right yeah. um, and uh, and you know whether whatever you think of that, it's burned into your mind forever, you know uh, and and you sort of can't I I've never been able to get that image out of my out of my mind. And it's also worth noting, right that was also around the same time that um colorization, was a great, uh, you know, matter of debate. And Ted Turner, I you know, know, owned all of these um, movies and was colorizing them for television. And but Orson
1: Welles said, tell Ted Turner to keep his damn Crayolas off my movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, um,
4: I remember seeing uh, uh, Ted Turner's um, version of... Um, Yankee Doodle Dandy in color, and uh, I I think that you know I think George M Cohan would have approved, right? I think that um, you know uh, it was a it was a showman thing to do for a showman movie, yeah. and uh, and whenever I watch the movie now, I miss Ted Turner's you know
1: uh, Crayola version.
4: They did it with uh, but, It's
1: a Wonderful Life, too, and maybe Miracle on 34th uh, Street. Yeah, 80, you know, the, none
4: of that. those uh, yeah. colorized versions are floating yeah. around yeah. anymore. Um, but, but the uh, black and
1: but, white of Schindler, guys, I mean, it is like you're saying, Oliver, that it's burned in my brain. Uh, many images. I mean, there's like the, the ashes you, you, or you think it's snowflakes and it turns uh, into ashes. Yeah. There's the moment yeah, yeah. You, you think you're worried they're going to be going into a gas chamber. But thank God the release of, oh, it's just a shower, at least for now. Um, the John Williams violin score, arguably his most you know tear jerking score ever. Obviously, giving the Holocaust subject matter. Um, but guys, also, also, guys, I want to say the three per- the performances: Liam Neeson's best performance, Ray right. Fine's best performance as Amon Goth, the terrifying villain. Ben Kingsley, I mean, maybe argue- I mean, Gandhi may be better, but I mean, uh, the three of those performances in one movie is just unbelievable to me.
4: Well, I recall that movie as introducing the world to uh, to Ray Fine, who has been um an incredible actor uh during my lifetime he yeah. able to do anything his his comedy is um is tremendous uh his ability to do almost anything but the fact that his first film yeah was so terrifying oh. and um and every and and um
1: and he it and so powerful yeah. um
4: but, no, he's um, taking
1: a leak in the morning, goes out on his balcony with a sniper rifle, snipes a an a, a, a inmate at the concentration camp, then goes back to peeing again. It, it's terrifying. Right. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and by the way, a plug for the, the following year, he does Charles Van Doren and Quiz Show. I mean, come on. Right. But um. But yeah, so yeah. you guys, Arch, you mentioned the red carpets and and what the sister's gonna wear to the Oscars. So this was <laughs> the big moment, right, guys? You said it was all building to this. He wins, finally wins best director, and it wins best.
3: And that director. put an end to all of that stuff that Oliver was talking about. Yeah, Hollywood didn't like Spielberg.
1: Well, think about it. Hitchcock never won best director either, and I, I think right. this this happens throughout history. You know, the the great, you know filmmakers for the masses the pot you know hitchcock was dismissed similarly as spielberg you know just making well, popcorn spielberg
3: movies. was very commercial
1: yeah but well that's the thing
4: it's like they wouldn't award him until he quote unquote grew up and did his yeah. adult uh-huh. movie mm-hmm. not for kids you know um not for the masses and there's a you know again uh you know that's that's interesting. It's, it's and it's worth noting that, that that it wasn't you know it wasn't until his mastery was uh, was used in service of seriousness,
0: seriousness, you know,
4: that he was able to to be looked at as a serious yeah. director. You know, while anyone who loved movies realized certainly by the time of his third film, Jaws, that yeah. that he was you know a force mm-hmm. to be reckoned with.
1: Right, right, exactly, and the sequence saying the same thing. That's a perfect segue into Amistad. Amistad was a uh, was oh, another huge. one. I guess you could call it in the line of you know similar to our color purple conversation. That's one. Mm-hmm. I gosh, I think they like a uh, substitute teacher put it on a you know in a class of mine or something. You know, it's one of those like right. play, teach students kind of a thing. But any memories of that real quick? Well, again,
4: uh-huh. that made him a major target of Spike Lee, and suddenly people were starting to say, you know, this guy should not be telling our stories. Uh, and um and that, that that became an aspect um you know and it was almost the beginning of of what we're seeing now on Twitter mm-hmm. and uh and this sort of um a pushback against who's telling stories uh and when you push back against you know one of the greatest storytellers that this country has ever produced you know it's serious um again you know I think le- color purple would have been made, no matter who had directed it. You know, it was a best-selling book with a, yeah. with a big author. I'm not sure that's necessarily the same as Armistead. And I think he needed, at least at that time, the muscle that he had to get that movie made. Right.
3: There right. was a Washington premiere at the Warner Theater. And uh, the premiere of Armistead was the first time I noticed like 40 or 50 television outlets all lined up uh you know, until then uh it had generally been five or six right three or four local stations and entertainment tonight and somebody else
0: right Suddenly
3: there were fifty people and I think <laughs> the point is it's amazing that Spielberg could get uh could uh succeed with anything considering the expectations we put on him
0: mm-hmm
4: yeah and if, absolutely. and if you think about that arch i mean um you know sir anthony hopkins is the lead in that movie i mean they're not there for the movie mm-hmm. stars right you mm-hmm. know uh it wasn't um it wasn't like uh harrison ford was in that movie
1: you know um well, he just won so- for six years earlier though right with hannibal but hannibal actor, but it wasn't You're right, yeah, right. It, but he wasn't the yeah like the, the box
4: office draw in, right. the, same, right. in the same manner
1: Right, all right. He wins again for Saving Private Ryan. Wins wins Best Director. That is, but it should have won Best Picture. Arch, what were your yes. thoughts on that with uh, Shakespeare in uh, Love?
3: I, you know, I was out there that year, and people were were, you know, saying, "What? How did that happen? How is it not uh, Saving Private Ryan? Saving Private Ryan? You, you know, this <laughs> backstage at the Oscars, they said this is the greatest mistake." <laughs> That's the greatest show on earth. Wow. <laughs>
4: <laughs> he's coming around.
0: <laughs>
1: Funny how that, that works.
4: <laughs> well, I, you know, there's everyone, of course, points to um, you know, Weinstein. uh the the um the the backroom uh, arm twisting mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Uh, Harvey Weinstein in the campaign for um uh, sh- uh Shakespeare and Love. Uh but you also have to remember that. DreamWorks SKG had just started and that was a DreamWorks picture right. so I think that there was a little pushback towards the the egos of those three men you know uh in in that in that film that was uh that was also a factor there I think there was a you know slap on the wrist not so fast uh kind of a you know now you know DreamWorks SKG is is sort of kind of forgotten in in, right. in you know, with lore uh but you know it was it
1: was gigantic at the time. That's true. That's three years before they did Shrek. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. It was brand new kid on the blocks. It's similar to yeah. like the pushback against the Netflix or something. Right, um, exactly. So, so yeah, but I, but I do think, you know, Spielberg got the last laugh on that one, right? Like to me, to this day, you can be, you know, Veterans Day, Memorial Day rolls around. I mean, Saving Private Ryan is one of those like, like Patton or, you know, whatever, Apocalypse Now. It's, it's one of the great war movies ever, if you ask me. Now, you, we could debate whether the bookends are necessary with the old man, you know, going to the cemetery. Uh, But that nothing can, no one can argue that D-Day opening, the cinema verite no, there no. with Storming the it's Beach. It's one
3: of the greatest and, um, openings ever.
1: Right, yeah. I always think of that in Band of Brothers because it's Spielberg and Tom Hanks executive produced that mm-hmm. a couple years mm-hmm. later for HBO. Amazing miniseries. Um, I always think of those two sort of as a piece, and man, there's just so many great scenes. The Barry Pepper sniping the sniper, and, you know, rest in peace, Vin Diesel in that scene. Uh, but so many great actors, and of course, they're all there to save Matt Damon. Uh, a year after Goodwill hunting, it is uh it's one of the most powerful uh, a fan favorite of the war war films i think all right well uh (laughs) moving right ahead into the 21st century arch wanted to mention ai which came out uh the the year before minority report so we're starting to go sci-fi spielberg again so arch well here's a
3: real quick ai story again just to remind you uh while we are uh praising spielberg uh uh, his sister came to the screening of AI in Washington, and um, you know it, it goes through all this stuff, and suddenly they're underwater, and the kid is talking to the blue fairy, and the wow. audience started laughing, <laughs> and and, <laughs> and the the screening was considered a uh, a complete disaster, and mm-hmm. people walked out of there shaking their heads, saying, "What the hell was?" nobody (laughs) nobody liked that movie at the time because i'm thinking don't let his sister (laughs) here yeah
1: Yeah. well Haley joel osmond uh had just done such a great performance in the sixth sense so i think a lot of people were trying to compare that to that
4: no i mean i I, you know and again um there's been lots of wonderful uh uh, child performances in spielberg movies there's one i mean there's there's quite a few in the fablemans including Mm -hmm. um uh, Julia Butters from um from um Once Upon a Time in Hollywood who plays your mm. Sister I think who who later became mm. your uh, your source and friend are um, <laughs> and she's really good at it uh she's really uh, good at it too she's an excellent uh, actress uh or actor as i should say uh, from, um yeah. uh but uh that film uh it was a gut wrenching performance by uh Haley Joel Osment you know yeah. and again it was perhaps the most sort of Twisted and subversive use of the Spielberg face, you know, just being empty mm. and asking for love for eternity, yeah. you know, mm. uh, and never dying and never fading. I'll, you know, I'll and, make uh,
3: your drink just the way you like it, Mom. Yeah.
4: No, and, I, and um and, and there being no motherly or fatherly love to return the adoration ever, uh-huh. you yeah. know, for eternity. Um uh obviously it was a film that was. You know, as the last film of of Kubrick and, and uh, that, that Spielberg finished, you know, it had um, hype like few others. And I think few other movies were more profoundly disappointing to everyone who saw yeah. Again, yeah. the movie has been reconsidered uh, in, um, you know, in the years since. But I think that movie, in terms of the response at the moment, rivaled 1941 in being a disappointment
1: right maybe one of those that we appreciate slightly more in hindsight than than in the moment when we were let down by well
4: isn't that the great thing
3: about movies though that we can reconsider them
4: yeah yeah
3: and that now in this streaming age i can be sitting here and turn on my uh my my smart set and uh and and just say oh there's a title i'd like let's let's look at that again well, heck, that was pretty good.
1: That's so true. That's such a, that's uh-huh. such a great uh-huh. point. Again, we'll we'll skip around, but I wanted to plug Minority Report really quick. I thought that was a great neo-noir with the pre-crime and the pre-cogs predicting future crimes. Tom Cruise realizes he, oh my gosh, I'm going to commit a murder in the future? That can't be. And lo and behold, <laughs> it is. Thanks to Max von Sydow and that scene he has with Colin Farrell. He's like, do you hear that? <laughs> Nothing. No clickety-clack little spider. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Well, what'd you guys think, think of that? I think once again,
4: uh, in the latter, in the, in the latter, uh, Spielberg, you have, um, Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise, you know, being the two halves uh, of Spielberg, yeah. uh, and, um, uh, uh, you know, that movie took place in DC, uh, and, are, um, yes, right. right, yeah, and, um, I remember that, um, that part of it, um, uh, it, it was, was way... his homage to Blade
3: Runner. <laughs> so, yeah,
4: well, it was, uh... Dix, it was a Philip K. Dick. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was a Philip K. Dick story, right? It was he did Total yeah. Recall and, yeah. You know, it looked it, it. felt like he was um going back, uh, you know, going back to the multiplex and getting out of the museum. You know, like he was no longer like a, gonna gonna be making just um you know films for the canon. You know, he was making movies for us again. He was making you know uh, Tom Cruise action sci-fi movies.
1: Right. After that he does Catch Me If You Can, which was a fun movie with Leo, the Terminal,
3: yeah,
1: uh, man. War of the Worlds and The guy me-
3: they, they based the terminal on just passed away.
1: Yeah, um, it's oh, that's the right. first
3: reference to the terminal I've seen since then.
1: Didn't he die in an airport?
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I I um I have this very <laughs> special place in my uh in my heart for um for catch me if you can because yeah. um you know, after Leonardo DiCaprio mm. did um, uh, Titanic, it sort of seemed like the, the the childhood mischief that he had had as a young actor kind of slipped away from him. And yeah. he was never really able to get it back after the Titanic. And really the only film, you know, up until I think he did he did uh, Wolf of Wall Street, All that really got into up. that yeah. mischief and that sort of playfulness. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Of, of Leonardo DiCaprio was, was catch me if you can, you know, this idea of just the whole world being a big scam, you know? Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, I, I really adore Leonardo DiCaprio in that, in that movie and the way that he's, he's used. And yeah. again, you know, it's another, it's another divorce movie, you know, it's a, <laughs> um, it's a very, you know, it's very much a divorce film. Absolutely.
1: Uh, moving on, Munich probably is the next great movie he makes in in that run. Right in two thousand five, to me, I viewed it as um, it was almost like a post. Not you know, he had done Schindler's List, but then nine eleven happens, and so here is Spielberg grappling with okay, now it's Jewish athletes being killed in Germany um you know by what was it palestinians was it assassinated Mm. the the famous olympic um and you mentioned um janice kaminsky the cinematographer to me munich i think is has some of the coolest Spielberg shots you'll ever find you know like with there'll be like a camera like on a reflection or in like a puddle of blood on the ground or it'll start like at a phone booth and tilt to see a guy in a car and then tilt up to the window like there's so much cool uh shots going on but did you guys enjoy munich well, the that movie, you know,
4: similar to um to Schindler's List and uh, and Jurassic Park came out the same year as War of the Worlds, um, which um was a movie that directly I think took on 9-11 and 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 also right. took on Divorce and The Shattered Family. Uh, and I think is a um terrifically um underappreciated uh, film in his in um and 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 like that movie, you know, um, or like that like uh, um the year with uh, Schindler's list, you know, it was a dividing point where he began a new partnership that would become one of his great partnerships with the with the writer Tony Kushner, you know, who wrote um Munich mm. uh and didn't write War of the World. Uh I i I love Munich. I can watch it again yeah. and again. Uh you know, I um I think so visually um, interesting. Yeah well And, and, and I think the idea of, of what, you know, appropriate response means, you know um, you know, on a, on a spiritual level and also just the set pieces in that movie are so entertaining. I mean, it's true with war of the worlds too. You know, I I just think, I I think um, I haven't, you know, it's funny. I haven't rewatched it uh, uh, recently because I'm sort of, worried about that i might not like the politics of it or whatever but boy did that movie mean a lot to me at at the the time that it came out and uh and um and again it ushered in uh this new era where you know he never has had an equal hand you know uh, an artist that has as much to say uh um and as and as definite a style as he does uh you know until he Teamed up with, with Tony Kushner, who's written pretty much all of his scripts since that one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it's, guys, I'm going to have to move a little faster through the end here. <laughs> we'll skip. We can skip right past the fourth Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
3: please it, do.
1: And he did Adventures of Tintin. Uh, and then Warhorse Horse was in, that was sort of like his. Uh, uh, what's the Bresson movie? The Al the Balthazar, uh, You know, like past an animal getting passed along. Uh, but I guess the next <laughs> big one probably would be Lincoln, but just because purely because Daniel Day Lewis won his third Best Actor Oscar, mm-hmm. he became mm-hmm. Lincoln. I know some people might find it. Slow, I remember watching it with my parents on the screen or <laughs> I'm leaning in listening to those Lincoln, those Euclid lessons that, you know, it's great Lincoln wisdom. Um I don't think they needed the ending at Ford's Theater. They should have ended with him walking down the the hallway there on his way mm-hmm. to it. But any mm-hmm. thoughts on that movie? I I think that I can't think I'm, I grew up in Washington DC as,
4: as you know, I can't think of a movie that is a better explanation of the process of lawmaking uh, uh, than that film. You know, I feel like, like everyone remembers it as a sort of vanity project, you know, for, uh, for this triumphant performance, but it's a movie about the, the, the sausage making of, um, of Washington DC lawmaking. And, and I just, find that fascinating and the fact That's that great then, all point. of those all of those um congressmen were able to have distinct personalities and uh in the in the limited amount of time that they that they <laughs> had. and then again you know the costumes the craft work uh of that film was just off the charts you know uh it was just um you you can just sometimes just turn off the the words and just look at the things in his movies uh, and uh, and be blown away.
3: And and we're getting closer to uh, Spielberg, the indie art producer, <laughs> yeah. rather yeah. than than the huge guy who's doing E. T. and uh, and uh, Close
1: Encounters. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, because to to your point, well, right after that, he does Bridge of Spies, which isn't a big blockbuster movie. It's almost like a his t- his version of like a Tinker Tailor <laughs> Soldier Spy or something, you know. It's and Mark, Mark Rylance wins an Oscar uh, for
3: it. It was such an introduction to Mark Rylance, I, you know, and I've been a fan of his ever since.
1: I like and Bridge that, of Spies a lot. That was a, I thought it was a really cool Cold me, War movie, yeah. especially knowing everything that you know would would enter our campaigns in the next year.
4: Uh, that, uh, that film was written by the Cohen the Cohen brothers. Right. Uh, mm, and, um, right. And it was really interesting. I mean, the, he, they've written a few scripts for other people. It's, it, it's not that rare a thing. Mm. Uh, but it was interesting to, uh, see the way that he handled the rhythms of their, of their dialogue yeah. and, um, yeah. and of their scenes differently than, than how they handle it, uh, themselves. Um, but, uh, yeah, I enjoy that I enjoy that movie a lot. I, I like Cold War films yeah. and and, yeah. and we're also, you know, he had a distinct Cold War period now, you know, where he's um where he's dealing with the idea of um of what war means psychologically,
1: uh <laughs> as well as as well as physically. Yeah, I think an underrated gem in his in his filmography. Um, follows. We'll skip past the BFG. That was another, I guess, more of a mainstream movie that kind of flopped, at least from what I remember. But the post after that, I thought was a, a interesting sort of an all the president's men. You know, Spotlight had just come out, and then so Spielberg gets yeah. to do the story of the what is it, the Pentagon Papers. It wasn't great per se, but it was it was interesting. I thought.
3: Yeah, but it, it was, but it was in the shadow of those other films. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, it was. I also, kind of
3: feel that way about uh, "She Said" right now. Oh, it's really? Kind of a, probably shouldn't say that, but it's sort <laughs> of in the shadow of um, of the uh, of spotlight.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, I, it definitely felt that way at the moment, and um, and it was weird to see. You know, you got the feeling that he was catching up with the trends rather than Uh making them Uh Uh, and you know we had spent our lives with him deciding what was going on and here it was seemed like oh these guys had a you know a big uh, journalism movie I want to make one Mm of those
1: right exactly I need that um, in my canon (laughs) yeah Um, yeah so after that, he does Ready Player One, which I know some younger critics that are video game people oh. liked it. It didn't, it didn't really do it for me. Uh, and then of course terrible. West Side Story, which you mentioned earlier. You know Ariana mm. DeBose wins mm. the Oscar, great performance. Mm. Um, I thought it was it was a decent remake. Um, it, I know Arch, there, there's cool shots like the overhead shadows of the sharks and jets coming. in. But I know Arch, me and you have, have we don't like that they moved moved. Uh, no. I feel pretty around. It kind of messes. With yes. It.
3: Yes, uh, I, that was a, I, I, I think in a different time, his remake of West Side Story would have been much bigger yeah. than it was uh, given that it was in the middle of the, uh, of the pandemic when people weren't going to theaters or were just maybe thinking about going back to theaters. Yeah. And because of that, uh, the remake of something that's a classic uh kind of uh you know it was uh it didn't quite feel necessary Mm -hmm. i i taped the classic and watched it again and actually liked spielberg's version a lot better
4: well there you go i i uh i remember um someone uh tweeting at the time that their um that their 14 year old niece had watched it and said um i don't understand why this nice trans boy wants to join a white nationalist gang (laughs) um Times have changed, <laughs> and, and and so it just there was some there was some aspect of it that just didn't fit the 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 modern mindset. Um, and now the
3: fableman. So is yeah. Spielberg the fable man?
4: Well, it it the you know it it, it it's interesting are, because these are, are these all fables, fables that we've been talking about, right? Uh-huh. He has created the um the sort of Hans Christian Andersen, you know, <laughs> the, the book uh-huh. Of, uh-huh. of of the stories of from where we learn our, our morals and our ideas of family and, um, and of, um, and of terror, uh, and, um, and everything in between. And I think in some respects he is rooting that out for himself, yeah. you know? Um, but I, I feel, you know, in in some respects, it was weird to see Spielberg taking on a teen movie and a, and a movie about, um, teen, uh, relationships. Uh, but, Uh, obviously it was very important. And and I think anyone who is enjoying this podcast is going to enjoy that movie. Yeah. I'm with you.
1: I appreciate you guys joining me. I, I had no idea we would literally go through all the movies <laughs> in order. Uh, but, you know, what? I think, you know, what? I think that's that, that speaks to Spielberg's power. Not every filmmaker w- would we get so amped up and animated to talk about. But it is the most famous movie maker, at least of our lifetimes, maybe of all time in terms of sheer popularity. Um, and I do think in hi- for all any criticisms we want to make along the way, I do think in hindsight, people will look back and be like, wow, you know, Jaws is a great mm-hmm. movie. E.T. is a great rating I mean, when you you list them all back to back, it's pretty impressive.
4: (laughs) Yeah. have a great holidays, you guys. It was great to have a bonus time with you.
3: So much fun.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
0: Search American Nightmare Podcast on all podcast platforms.
1: I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy.